Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. My name is Keith Boucher, and I'm your host today. I serve as a community strategist for NetSmart. September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and our topic today is suicide prevention and treatment in the younger population. If you or someone you know is having suicidal thoughts, please reach out for help. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is open 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255. Why prevention efforts are needed is clear. In the past few years, reports have shown higher rates of suicide in teen and young adult age groups. In 2017, death by suicide was the 10th most common cause of death, but it was the second leading cause of death for the 15 to 24 age group behind accidents. More recently, during the COVID-19 pandemic, mental health conditions are disproportionately affecting specific populations, especially young adults. In one survey, 11% of respondents reported they had seriously considered suicide in the past 30 days, but in the 18 to 24 age group, that number was one in four, or more than twice as high. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention points to the need to increase intervention and prevention efforts. To talk with me about this today, I'm excited to be speaking with Lisa Desai, Director of Behavioral Health Consulting, and Leah Carnell, Senior Program Manager from MindWise Innovations, a part of Riverside Community Care located in Massachusetts. Hi, Lisa and Leah, welcome. Can you tell us about MindWise Innovations and maybe speak to what you're seeing in regards to an increase in suicide risk in the younger population? Sure. Um, hi, Keith. This is Lisa. Thank you so much for having us today and joining in this very important conversation. We're seeing from a community perspective, I know Leah will talk about our younger population from an adult community and workplace perspective, we're seeing no surprise, a striking increase in anxiety and depression as many surveys are, are bearing out over the course of the last several months, as well as an uptick in substance misuse during the course of this pandemic. Just a, a word about Riverside Community Care and MindWise. So MindWise has the mission of providing suicide prevention programs and educational materials and trainings, as well as behavioral health awareness programs with the overall mission to be preventative, proactive, and engage in early identification so people can get access to services. In light of the statistics that you shared, this is um, a difficult topic to address. It can feel very grim often to talk about. And one of the things that we really try to keep in mind at MindWise and, and remind people that it's important to think about the action that needs to be taken, that the problem thus far hasn't been that folks are struggling with behavioral health, which is natural for people to struggle, for all of us to struggle. It's that not enough has been done to address behavioral health needs. I can talk to what we see more recently in the youth population. So Keith, as you mentioned in the beginning, uh, suicide is now the second leading cause of death for youth. Um, and the CDC just recently released their youth risk behavior survey data for 2019, which comes out every two years. And this re reports on risk behavior for high school youth. Here's some of the data that we learned from that report. So about 19% of youth say that they've seriously considered attempting suicide. About 16% have made a plan about how they would attempt. And about 9% have actually attempted suicide in the last year. 
And these numbers have all slightly risen since the data from 2017. What we want to point out um, when people ask about how COVID will affect suicide rates in general, specifically amongst youth, we won't really have any meaningful, substantial data for a few years now. So like Lisa was mentioning before, we want to focus on the action steps, what we can do to help people and encourage them to reach out. So fortunately, suicide is still relatively uncommon among youth. Um, this is why it's really important to educate teens about the many pathways to seek help. And then once teens do seek help, many start to feel much better. Great. Thank you. Leah, I know MindWise Innovations has a program called SOS Signs of Suicide. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So SOS is a program that's been around since 2001 for middle school and high school students. The program reaches about a million and a half students on an annual basis, and we currently serve over 2,000 schools and organizations in every state across the country. It's an evidence-based program that teaches students to act if they're worried about themselves or a friend. So what the program actually includes is peer-to-peer -peer messaging through a video and guided discussion, which is then followed by a depression screening and a student response slip where students can indicate if they'd like to talk to someone about themselves or a friend. And then school mental health staff will follow up with those students in need. One of the um, things that schools really love about the program is that it can be delivered in one class period. There's no additional training required in order to deliver the program. And our program team is also available throughout the year to provide support and consultation. Great. So Leah, I know that you and the Signs of Suicide team recently received a Riverside Care Award for your work. So I wanted to say congratulations. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. You bet. And you mentioned ACT. There's a technique in the program called ACT. Can you explain what that stands for and how it's used? Definitely. So we use an easy to remember acronym that guides students on what to do when they're worried about themselves or a friend. So this is ACT. Acknowledge that you're seeing signs of suicide or depression in a friend and that it's serious. Care by letting them know you're worried. And then the last step, tell a trusted adult. And we use the same acronym to guide faculty and staff with a slight twist. So instead of telling a trusted adult, we want to encourage faculty and staff to follow their school protocol and tell a mental health professional. So Lisa, I know you've sort of adapted this model to the adult population. Do you want to talk about that? We have. So we do a lot of work in around employee mental health. And so um, one of the things that we've created is called behavioral health literacy, and it's a way of level setting understanding around behavioral health mainly to, to dis demystify what mental health and substance misuse are. So we kind of go through descriptions of this is what it looks like. This is how mental health struggles can show up at work. And if you um, notice that a peer is struggling or even a family member at home is struggling, how can you begin to have this conversation? So we have adapted ACT to acknowledge, care, and talk. And the talk part is it could be talking with a colleague, your partner, yourself, or a professional. So very much so. Um, and it, it's sometimes nice for people to feel like they have a bit of a frame to guide them in having these conversations. You both mentioned uh, talking and communication a lot. So I guess communication is the key, not keeping it secret, talking to peers, talking to trusted adults, and talking to other folks in organizations. Exactly. Great. And Leah, you also mentioned signs of suicide is evidence-based. What, what's that mean? Yeah, that's a great question. 
so yes, SOS is evidence-based, and which means that there has been research conducted. There have been three randomized control trials on SOS, and these studies were focused on determining if SOS is succeeding at its stated goals, which are reducing suicide attempts and spreading awareness about depression and suicide amongst youth. Great. What, what are some of the outcomes you're seeing in the program? So in the randomized control trials, students who received SOS compared with the control group uh, were 64% less likely to report a suicide attempt in the next three months. And these students also reported more favorable attitude towards getting help for themselves or friends for depression and or suicidal thoughts. So since we have a national reach, sometimes it's challenging to collect current and meaningful data. And this is why we rely on some of our partners across the country to share what they are collecting throughout the year. So we work with Chad's Coalition, which is a St. Louis-based organization, in addition to Alyssa's Mission, which is Chicago-based, and they've served hundreds of thousands of students throughout the years. And they report an average follow-up rate of 12 to 13%, which means that of the all the students that went through the program, about 12 to 13% have reached out for help. And approximately half of these students were referred for additional evaluation and services. So we know that the program is working, that these students who were followed up with are getting the help that they need. And a very small percentage, less than 1%, are in immediate crisis on the day of the program, which really works to kind of demystify talking about suicide because there is this myth that talking about suicide can be harmful, that it might put the idea in their head. We know that this is not true at all. The program is actually identifying students that would have otherwise gone under the radar. And it's really allowing students to come to the forefront and reach out for help. That's great. For SOS, can you talk about what's changed in your program, if anything, due to COVID-19? Absolutely. So over the past several, for several months, we've adapted the program to fit virtual or in-person delivery, really meeting the needs of schools, increasing the types and number of resources available to family and communities. We've rolled out a parent geared webinar this fall, in addition to a trauma-sensitive schools webinar series for educators in terms of the program materials, making sure that they're all relevant, really helping students students be engaged with SOS. So we've created training slide decks along with tips to deliver SOS in a virtual environment. And we also filmed um, an intro clip that addresses current times to make sure that even though the scenes in the video may not look like what students are going through, that the main message of ACT is still relevant, especially now. Great. So in this time of social distancing, stay-at-home orders, isolation that we're all feeling to some extent, I'm guessing technology plays somewhat of a role in staying connected. What are some of the ways technology is used in your organization, your program? That's a really great question. So at MindWise, we always focus on the power of technology to reach large audiences. So SOS is a fully digital program. Like I mentioned, we're really focusing on webinars with guest speakers, and especially now more than ever, since things are changing so much, we really want to make sure that we're meeting the needs of school. So gathering feedback throughout the past few months, through surveys, through virtual focus groups. And I really love the opportunity to have dialogue and facilitate communication with educators from across the country 
But with these virtual focus groups, people have really valued talking to other educators from the other side of the country. And also something that we've offered is a parent page, which is a website that parents can access to learn about youth mental health. They can take a depression screening on behalf of their child, access the program videos, and just really, really know how to engage in that conversation and also has national resources um, that anyone can reach out to. And Lisa, what are you seeing in the adult population? So similar to SOS, it would be WorkClick providing many webinars, interactive trainings, modules, um, so people can really engage in the conversation as well as learn the material. Lots of um, kind of specific websites that are designed for specific needs or the technology industry or construction or kind of very specific issues that are coming up around mental health in the workplace for certain sectors. We also have an online behavioral health program that is for ages 18 and older. So it's actually very widely used in college populations as well as the workplace. It has always been completely online. So it's been very useful in these times. And the idea is that we have uh, 12 validated brief screening tools and they are designed for people to do a quick check-in. It's kind of a checkup from the neck up, I think is how we've referred to it in the past. And the idea is that we're very comfortable checking in with our heart rate, our blood pressure, all, the, all of these kinds of things. And in the same way, it's important to think about how we're doing and check in with our emotional and psychological well-being. Absolutely. So online and virtual. Great. For the past 10 years or so, I've been personally involved in a suicide prevention nonprofit that was started by some friends of mine who lost a son to suicide when he was 18. I'm familiar somewhat with the stigma that surrounds suicide. Can you both talk about some of the ways the program seeks to reduce stigma? I think a common theme throughout MindWise is that um, we need to address stigma by having conversation, by bringing mental health and substance misuse out of the shadows, not being afraid to talk about it. Um, silence and fear are the things that stigma thrives on. And the more we become comfortable talking about it, the less scary it is and the less taboo it is. I know SOS has very specific ways in which you address stigma, Leah. Yeah, so I can, can talk to that in the youth population. So we want to address stigma with all of the audiences, so students, faculty and staff, and parents, to what I was just talking about, really bringing it out of the shadows, making someone understand that it's not a character flaw, that if they were to have the flu, if they had the common cold, they wouldn't be embarrassed to talk about it. They know that treatment helps. There's something that they can do. And we want students to understand this for mental health conditions, that there's treatment available. People who seek treatment often feel much better. And that talking about suicide can be one of the most helpful things you can do to help someone. So uh, through our program materials and resources, that we provide, we want to emphasize normalizing, having the conversation. And then we have specific kind of infographics and resources for those three audiences. Great, thank you both. What's some of the risk factors in the age group that you're each working with that we can talk about? Sure, so I can talk about the youth population and, and some of what I'm saying will relate to, to the adult population as well and Lisa can add on. But one of the first ones is trauma. So. This can be adverse childhood experiences, and some examples include neglect, physical, sexual, emotional abuse, household mental illness, parental separation, divorce, incarcerated parent. 
and youth who experience seven or more adverse childhood experiences are 51 times more likely to attempt suicide, which is really staggering. So this is why we're focusing on a trauma-sensitive schools webinar series this fall, because we want faculty staff, school educators to be aware of the effect of trauma on mental health um, so they can feel empowered to recognize and respond accordingly. And some of the other important risk factors include death of a loved one, untreated mental health conditions. So when mental health conditions like depression are untreated, a teen may begin to feel so hopeless that they consider suicide. And this is why it's important that we encourage youth to reach out for help so they can begin a journey of recovery. And another important one is access to lethal means. So I always preface this with mentioning that it's not from a political standpoint at all, but we're pointing out the facts. So access to guns. 86% of youth suicides that involved a gun belong to a family member. This is why it's imperative that parents understand the increased risk when guns are accessible in the home. And some other ones include substance use, drinking or drug use, and then um, those that identify as LGBTQ. And then Lisa, what are some of the risk factors that you're seeing in the adult population? Yeah, well, as you mentioned, um, and you're absolutely correct, Leah, so many of the risk factors are the same. So traumatized children, um, adolescents, then um, hopefully will we'll grow into adulthood and become, and still carry those, those scars with them. So we know that trauma, depression, chronic or acute depression is linked to suicide, certainly substance misuse. A couple of specific pieces of information Opioid misuse, um, and specifically when one is um, regularly misusing opioids, is linked to 75% increase in suicide risk. So that is really remarkable when you think about it. And when you think about the overlap between those that are self-medicating, perhaps due to trauma, and then substance misuse, and then the link to suicide, it becomes even stronger. We also know that there are certain sectors of the population uh, based on their professional work life are more at risk. And so, Leah, you had mentioned the Center for Disease Control earlier. The CDC, for example, cites construction and manufacturing as one of the top industries, unfortunately, at risk. The risk for suicide in construction is four times that of the general population. So the reasons for that can be cultural in the sense that there's um, often transient nature of the work, financial inconsistency that goes with that financial stress, the physical labor that it, that takes a toll, as well as kind of a stoic nature of, of the work and of the culture that makes it harder to reach out for help. So we are very committed to working in those sectors and building a culture within that where it becomes easier to talk about behavioral health and, and to support one another, to support one another in seeking out treatment. One of the pieces of why um, construction and manufacturing-related industries are also higher risk is because the still the it's um, working-age men, Caucasian men that are employed, and working-age men are at higher risk of um, or death by suicide. Wow. So, what are some of the signs uh, of depression or suicide risk that parents should look for with their kids? That's a really great question. So the first thing I like to point out is any big changes in behavior. So is your child isolating or withdrawing? Have they stopped doing things they once really used to love doing? Verbalizing suicidal intent, 
or writing this on social media. And one of the misconceptions about de depression in teens is that they, they look, they appear to be kind of very sad, look very hopeless, but a common warning sign for teens is um, anger or irritability that could indicate suicide or depression risk. And then things like changes in behavior. So is your child sleeping too much or too little? Have they been complaining of physical discomfort like body aches, which seem to have no other cause? And then again, just really emphasizing talking about suicide. To take it seriously if your child is verbalizing suicidal intent, even if they later say it was a joke. And then Lisa, do you want to talk to the importance of parents taking care of their own mental health? Absolutely. And also just want to highlight a couple of things you said, Leah, which is that the change in behavior, I think, is so key. So if you have a teen or preteen or a college student that is typically very social and becomes less social, or maybe a, t a more quiet or subdued teen who certainly is, who then is engaging in behaviors that might be seen as risky or kind of just outside who they typically are, I think it may not always mean that they are feeling suicidal, but it opens the door to having a conversation about how they're doing and um, that can be useful. To your point, Leah, parents taking care of themselves and also recognizing if other family members are struggling. These days with quarantine um, and just kind of not being able to kind of see others or due to needs with elderly as well as siblings, there may be extended family members that are struggling. So it's important for parents to think about how is that impacting your teen when people are working remotely, if there's a furlough, a job layoff, financial stressors, all of that can be tough. So I think that part of what SOS does around the parent support and parent information is key in that regard. And I know one of the technology pieces is you brought all of that online as well. So parents are getting the ACT information at home in the same way that the teachers were before. Is that, is that right? That's correct. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's phenomenal that that's happening. In, in terms of adults, we talk a lot about what do you notice at work or in your lives at home? If you have concerns, what might that look like? So again, pulling away, not attending meetings, not showing up on Zoom calls, not wanting to go on social distance walks, frustration, a lot of frustration, that flying off the handle. Those are all signs to look for. And, and of course, increase in any kind of substance use. Great, things to look for. Thank you both. So what can we do? What's a call to action? Sure, so I can talk a little bit about the individual level and have Lisa jump in to add on and talk about the organizational level. But kind of a key theme of what we've all been talking about is the importance of communication. So going back to the beginning, encouraging everyone to act. So acknowledge that you're seeing signs of suicide or depression in a loved one care by letting them know you're worried about them and tell someone, have them reach out for help. As we talked about, if you're concerned, just simply ask how they're doing. Uh, you don't have to be perfect. As long as you're a good listener, you use respectful language and just being genuine with that loved one and know that if you are struggling, there are people who care for you. There are many avenues to reach out. The Suicide Prevention Lifeline, the Crisis Text Line are resources that are available 24-7, free and confidential. And then our resources are also available to the public. So there are webinars that we offer throughout the year that educate on different topics related to behavioral health and suicide prevention. 
from an organizational perspective, it's important for, you know, as adults, for your listeners, if you're part, if you're working part of an organization or even a committee, what are the resources that are available? What are the behavioral health resources, also educational materials? What can you get or what are you missing in your workplace? If you're in a leadership position, it's really important to think about how can you engage your teams? How can you engage employees in talking about this? Again, it's really important to think about behavioral health affects all of us. Mental health affects all of us. It's on a continuum. So we have to make it not a taboo topic and realize that in the same way that there's some folks that struggle with ongoing physical illness, there may be folks struggling with ongoing mental illness. There are also a lot of us that are in the middle somewhere. How we're doing fluctuates with what's going on around us. So it behooves organizations to really provide solid supports to to empower and to really uh, protect folks in those situations. Great. Thank you. And for folks that want more information about the program, I know they can go to mindwise.org. They can look on the internet uh, for signs of suicide, the SOS program. As I mentioned, there's some video clips out on YouTube that you can check out. And I, I want to thank you both so much for the work that you're doing and for sharing your experiences with us today. Thank you so much for having us, Keith. It was a really important discussion and appreciate your making the time to, to have us here. Thank you, Keith. Thank you. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.